there's no well the angels did say was to certain poor shepherds in fields as they lay in fields where they lay keeping their sheep on a cold winter's night that was so deep no And welcome to those online and at all of our campuses, Edgewood and Abington and Aberdeen and Mountain Road. Here we are. It's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. And we want to use this time of year to emphasize something that's really important about being a Jesus-shaped community. And that is that we're, we're people of prayer and we care for and love and desire the best for people who are part of our lives but maybe are not part of a community like Mountain. They're missing out on the richness of everything that we get to experience together. And our hearts are open to them and our arms as well. And we are trying to remind each other in this season to make our prayers active for them as well. Uh, you should have received, if you're here, you should have received one of these cards, right? You got a card that looks like this, small card that you got when you walked in. And that's to um, write some names of people that you are praying for, that, that God would bring a thrill of hope to their life. And if you're online, there's actually a digital way to uh, participate in the prayer wall. Uh, yeah, you can go right there. It's called prayer wall because, well, you got to kind of be here. There's prayer walls out in the common area and so forth. And you can take those little cards and write those people's names, maybe just first names or initials, and put them on the prayer wall. And uh, let that be a way of uh, diving more deeply into prayer and look for an opportunity to invite them to be a part of a Christmas at Mountain and engage with those, whether it's digitally in person, let it lead you to prayer and to be more loving in the relationships that you have during the season. And then also, I was encouraged this week, I'm not just saying this because it's like I'm doing a commercial, but it really uh, was encouraged this week by this Advent Reflections podcast. Anyone doing it? Okay, any of you? Okay, all right. Six of us, I think, maybe some more out there. But I hope like six more at least would jump in and do it. We're in the season of Advent. It's a time to prepare for Christmas, to almost put yourself back in the story and look forward to Jesus coming in a fresh way. And for years, I have reached for some Advent daily books. This one's called Waiting for the Light. This one's called Watch for the Light. There you go, for whatever that's worth. I've, I've loved going through those. And then this year, this audio podcast that we created, it's just, it's been really awesome. And you can get a link to you sent each day. There you go. You can text. Do we have the text number, the number that you can text to get it? There you go. If you want to get a reminder every day and a link to go, you can find it on Spotify or Apple or Google Podcasts. So each day, five or six minutes to 
receive whatever God wants to give this Christmas. And we uh, hear from Scripture and, and a brief reflection and space to just pause and take a break. I, I could not recommend that more. And there's even links to our Christmas playlist as well to hear some music. So incorporate that into your preparation for Christmas. Speaking of playlists, we know this is a season flooded with music. We hear it everywhere we go from all different genres uh, at the, the store or restaurants or waiting rooms or on the radio. And maybe it's to the point, some of us get sick of it before Christmas arrives. I don't know if you've arrived at that point yet. Some people are called grinchy about it all. Like the, the Christmas music makes you the opposite of jolly and bright. Um, some people love it. Of course, I, I do. I, I do. And now there's a distinction to be made between the kinds of songs that take as their inspiration the birth of Jesus. Like they're trying to give expression to what Christians believe is the world-altering reality of God entering the world as a human. There's difference between those songs and then those songs that are grounded more in sentimentality and fantasies about the North Pole and, and those kinds of things. We don't have much interest in the latter kind, but there are a few of the first kind, those songs that retell the Jesus story that we're pushing play on so that they might have an opportunity to take hold of us over the next few weeks. And I use that phrase intentionally, take hold. That they, the, these songs, the, the message of these songs, we're inviting them to take hold of us. And you maybe didn't know that that's what we're doing. Maybe didn't sign up for that. And each of us will have to decide if we do indeed want to be captured by this music, taken by the story that these songs tell and led into the very presence of God, moved to have a real encounter with the real Jesus who visits us in the most surprising of ways. Is that what you want in this season? Is that what it's about? Okay. Because I think sometimes uh, we're just hoping to be carried by a sentimental feeling. Or we're, we're driven by these dreams of creating the perfect Christmas. Or we're content to be swept up in the commercial fray, hustling to satisfy all the gift lists and meet inflated expectations. Or I wonder if the next few weeks are just about consoling ourselves with our traditions in hopes of oh, manufacturing enough Christmas cheer just to get us by. Maybe the cookies and the Christmas jingles and the Hallmark movies and the parties will sort of be enough to make us feel good. Maybe it will be enough to tame us, to pacify us during this season of the year into wanting something less than the real God coming to be with us. This Christmas playlist has been assembled to help us shape or even reshape our desires, to reform our minds and our lives such that we don't settle for cheap interpretations of what makes Christmas Christmas. I love that image of the old record, uh, the old record player. Like the music plays when you set the stylus into the groove. And our invitation is to get our minds into the right groove and allow the right kinds of melodies to fill our head and even flow through us to shape the kinds of attitudes and actions that would reflect the Christ that gave birth to Christmas. So if you're interested in pursuing that, regardless of what Christmas has looked like for you in the past, regardless of what groove you're in right now, if you want to do that, that's what we're going to do today if you want to follow along. So we started last week with a song. Do you remember what it was? A Little Town of Bethlehem. And today we're humming along to the tune of the first Noel, as, as we've already heard. Now, uh, Noel, it's, it's a pretty name. You probably know some people with that name. It's also the French word for 
Christmas. So this song is designed to narrate some parts of the first Christmas. In putting, this, putting the Christmas tradition into song form, it was a way to help pass the tradition along from one generation to the next, thinking among a largely illiterate culture, and they don't have Bibles at their fingertips like we do. So singing would help you remember. The first Noel it was a way to recount what we would read in the New Testament books of Matthew and Luke. And you know, it's a pretty uh, plain song, to be honest. It, it, repetitive, I think there's nine stanzas. Originally, we don't sing most of them. There's going to be a reason for that. Um, in truth, I, I don't really care for the song, if, I, if I'm being honest. Um, I love a lot of the Christmas hymns. I don't particularly like that one. You might like it, and that's fine. I've, I've appreciated it more the more that I've been immersed in it. So what is this song doing? Uh, what, what is it communicating? If you're going to drop the stylus into the groove of this record, how is it going to move you? Where is it going to take you? Why? Is this on our Christmas playlist? Well, first, and uh, for me, I, what hit me, and, and perhaps I was wanting to skip past this with some of the expectations that I brought to the song at first, but the first Noel is reminding us of something that is pretty basic, but also essential to Christmas, and that is this. Something happened here. There is an event in history that needs to be accounted for. It's remarkable enough to be retold. And by now, it, is, it has been retold and commemorated for hundreds of years. But it started with this first event, which this song describes in this no-frills kind of a way. It's something that happened to real people who lived to tell about it. That's how the, the writer Luke, he, he begins his piece, third book of the New Testament. He, he begins talking, saying, I've done my best to interview those people who were witnesses to, to these things, the events that have unfolded, and now I'm attempting to organize an orderly account to all of it. This is testimony from people who they didn't know they were going to be in the Bible. It wasn't like, okay, they woke up one day and said, let's act these things out now. And, and they didn't say, oh, hey, let's go found a religion. Didn't have the clout to do that anyway, or, or the wherewithal to do that anyway. No, the first Noel, the angel did say, Jesus happened. A baby was born, and it's something you should pay attention to. Who should pay attention to? Well, shepherds first. Apparently, they're the first to learn about this new thing that's occurred. And they were just living their lives. Shepherds in fields, doing what shepherds do. And then, here we are, first Noel, Jesus happened. And suddenly the world becomes a different place. What does this mean? When Jesus happens, when Jesus makes his presence known, it begs that question, what does this mean? What does this mean for me, if, if you're the certain poor shepherds receiving this news? Many of us, we can tell how, we're not shepherds, but we can tell we've reckoned with that same question. We've had a type of first Noel experience where we were just living our lives and then Jesus happened. God became real to us, more than just an idea, but a present living reality with whom we had to do business, so to speak. For me, I was 21 and I, there was no angels and I wasn't really seeking. I wasn't um, in any kind of um, experience of pain or desperation, but I was in an academic setting in college, uh, in class where I lay, not really motivated or, or just kind of going through the motions until it was like my mind was unlocked or thrust into a new gear in, in this new kind of way, not enlightened with all of the answers, but ignited with better questions. And it introduced me to a Jesus who was not afraid of them. And that's because this Jesus that came alive on the first Noel is still coming alive and is still alive today. Not as a concept, 
not as a poster child for some religion or a hallmark nicety, but as a real presence who has entered onto the world stage and who has entered into the lives of real people. May the first Noel remind us or even convict us for the first time that the Jesus of whom the angels did say to certain poor shepherds in fields as they lay, that Jesus showed up. And to people who are, are, are just living their lives, mechanics in shops, stylists in salons, students in schools, nurses in hospitals, salespeople on the road, Jesus wants to happen to you. And then we all, like the shepherds, would be asking, what does this mean? And what does it mean for me? I'd like to help us think about both of those questions as we look not only to this song, but to what it is pointing to, this thing, this account of this thing that happened. It's told in the scriptures. What does it mean? What does it mean for me? Both those are important and, and to, they, they fit together. And so, so something happened. And one of the things that it meant, and I'll say it like this, it meant that the game is still on. Right? So I'm thinking of a situation where you are maybe going to play in a game or you're going to a game, uh, football or soccer or whatever, and the weather is awful. It's, it's raining and windy and sleeting and snowing, and the conditions are not favorable at all to the point that it has you asking, has you asking the question, what? Is the game still on? And of course, if you're in Maryland, then the answer is obviously no. Game's off. Whatever we had happened to do today, or whatever we were planning to have happen today, is not happening anymore. Go buy some toilet paper. Okay. So. Now, that's not a perfect picture, but it, it is a good enough one to help us understand what the people, like the shepherds, and their contemporaries would have been wondering about. And I'm not just talking about the weather on a cold winter's night. I'm talking about the fact that the people we meet in the Christmas story, Mary and Joseph, Zechariah and Elizabeth, Anna and Simeon, these shepherds, they are part of a community, a nation of people that are defined by a promise. This is a marked out group, a distinct family. In fact, how does the New Testament begin? read in, in Matthew chapter 1. It begins with a riveting genealogy. Yeah, it's really exciting. Nice family tree. Oh, wow, I'm so glad I'm reading the Bible with this long list of names like Rehoboam and Jehoshaphat. It's life-changing, let me tell you. It's family history that be, begins with, actually, does anyone have it, Matthew chapter 1? Who, who's the first name listed in the line? Do you have it? Or do you know? Anyone? Abraham. I think someone said it. Abraham. To whom God made a promise. I will bless you, and I will bless your descendants, and through you the whole world will be blessed. This is what God intends to happen. This is a family that was marked out for a purpose that would impact all of creation. It sounds really nice. It sounds like, let's get that storyline going. Let the blessings flow. Let's go. Of course, God's partnership with this family does not go swimmingly all of the time. God is faithful. They are often faithless. God sets the course. They choose their own course. God provides. They complain. And we don't judge them. We relate to them. Yet, God remains consistent in his love for them and for the world. So God maintains this partnership, this covenant, and further promises to lead this people and establish justice. And they, they just will not be led. And so it all comes crashing down. It, Read First and Second Kings. It's a sad saga. Some bright spots, but altogether not a pretty picture. 
It ends with these descendants of Abraham being taken over, deported from their land, cities destroyed, dreams wrecked. And then God further pledges himself to his people and to his world saying, okay, what's been torn down will be rebuilt. What's been burned will be restored. I will heal what's broken, correct the injustice, bring peace to those in turmoil. I will make things new again and it will indeed bless not only this one family but all the families of the world. Some snapshots of what God is like. These promises, too, are part of this family history. They're written down in the Old Testament, in the prophets, like Isaiah. But that, that was a while ago. And and it's not as if there were no signs of God's presence with his people. It wasn't as if nothing was redeemed. Uh, Homes and cities were rebuilt. Livelihoods were regained. There was a new temple. Even political power was snatched for a short time between those Old Testament promises and the first Noel. But the, the shepherds, while they're laying in their fields, and as the people of the promise just go on living their lives, everybody can see the conditions were not favorable for what God intended. Nothing looked like the hopeful vision that the prophets had spoken about and written about and that we had heard about. And by now, it's not just been years, but centuries. It's not happening. Game's off. You ever felt like that? I'm sure, sure you have. I'm not just talking about being disappointed like the, the weather was bad and a game didn't happen, but as if the good things that you want to happen and that you, you think God wants to happen or God ought to want to happen, they're not going to happen. The job, the job doesn't come. Loneliness remains. Family just can't come together. Sickness endures. The problems at work or in your neighborhood or, or at school, they just they won't resolve. We all have our own lists. We're all still waiting through a pandemic. Conditions aren't favorable. I'll say, I have felt more and more intensely the reality of the world not being as I wished it was. Whether I'm reading the news or my kid's report card. And what I don't know is... And and really what I have a very limited ability to control is how everything will resolve. But what I do know, or what I'm trying to remember, and what this season helps me remember when I get my mind into the right groove, is that I am part of a faith family. More than that, I'm part of a flesh and blood family who have waited and trusted and hoped through far worse for far longer. People who have day after day lived faithfully in a world that was not as they wanted it to be, but who refused to conclude that God was done playing, that the game was off. People who said, as I heard on the Advent Reflections podcast this week, you have it from Lamentations 3, I've been deprived of peace. 
I've forgotten what prosperity is, said someone who wrote the Bible. I'm saying my splendor is gone. All that I hope from the Lord is gone. Can you imagine saying that? My soul is downcast within me, no kidding. And yet, this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness, God. So yeah, there's a boring genealogy that sets the table for the first Noel. But the angel's announcement says to those who claim this family history as their own, as you and I are invited to do, God ain't done yet. God's not done on the world stage. God's not done in the situation in which you live. No, the conditions aren't favorable. And I don't know how all the particular concerns that you and I have will resolve, but God's compassions never fail. They are new every morning. The game's still on. Do you believe that? It is hard to believe it. But that's what Christmas, that's what the angels did say. That's what it means. That's what it means, and that's what it means for you and me. And it also meant something else. Not only is the game still on, but there's a new power at play. When uh, the angels uh, appear to people in the scriptures uh, and they come to deliver a message, which is their essential function, that's what angel means, it means messenger. So when they come to do that, what is almost always one of the first things out of their mouth? What do they say? Don't be afraid. So what does that tell you about angels? They're terrifying, right? <laughs> yes. It sounds very sweet in the song. First, no, well, the angels did say, no, no, no. But these, this is a powerful force to be reckoned with. More on that in a minute. Now, everyone in the Christmas story that we've met, shepherds especially, would have known what it's like to be in submission to powerful forces. Luke chapter 1, this is how the whole thing begins, in the time of Herod, king of Judea. This is his world. Who's in charge here? He is. Okay. It's not a democracy. Herod, this is Herod the Great, okay, just in case that there was any doubt. Oh, but it gets greater. There is a bigger dog on the block. Okay? Luke chapter 2 begins, in those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken over the entire Roman world. He's the biggest dog, actually at the helm of the largest empire the world had ever seen. Caesar the Great, Caesar the Majestic. And he's mentioned here at the beginning of the first Noel. And it's what we would expect. Caesar issues a decree and uh, it happens. <laughs> he speaks and the world responds. That's what sent Mary and Joseph to go to Bethlehem. Like, it's like, um, who, who is controlling the outcomes of history? Caesar is. <laughs> His propaganda would have said so. He is Lord. Who is delivering peace to the world? Caesar is. That's what his wars are accomplishing. Who is uh, blessing the world? Who is the savior of the world? Caesar is. The government is on his shoulders. This, this was all the common rhetoric of the day. And the clacking of every Roman centurion boot on the street would echo this throughout the empire. This is the world of the first Noel. Which, which creates some intrigue now. Because... There's, there's this peasant couple, Mary and Joseph, 
<laughs> Mary and Joseph, uh, fleas on the back of a rat, in the paws of a cat, in a barn full of Clydesdales, on the ranch of a farmer who leases property from a corporation that Caesar owns. And that's how significant Mary and Joseph are in Caesar's world. That was just a word picture, by the way. It's not literal um, who they were. It's just a word picture. You with me? Okay, very good. Uh, so that's who they are. And as they're obeying Caesar's edict, trudging their way to Bethlehem, they do that with a memory and hope of what they experienced in their own encounter with an angel. See, the angel told Mary in Luke chapter 1, you'll conceive and give birth to a son. Call him Jesus. And he will be great. And he will be called son of the, of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over Jacob's descendants and his kingdom will never end. That's lofty. And on Caesar's turf, the, the part that explains why you know, there was no big welcome reception, not even a delivery room for Jesus. But nevertheless, he shims his way into this world that doesn't want to make room for him. And that's when the news comes to the shepherds in fields where they lay. Here's how that happened. There were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping walk over their, watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified, of course. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah. He is the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You'll find the baby wrapped in claws and lying in a manger. That's hilarious. That's the sign of greatness that you will see. Little baby in a manger, but we'll, we'll talk about the manger next week. Suddenly, a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. So the whole peasant baby in strips, and cloth, strips of cloth lying in a maver, it doesn't scream power. But you know what it does? An army. Now, we, we, we didn't see an army in the text because usually we, we imagine it as a choir. It's, it's in our song, Sing Choirs of Angels. But the, the heavenly host, this, this word for army, this is a heavenly army. I mean, they can sing, but this is no glee club, right? See, what everyone sees in the world, what, what everyone sees across the whole world is the power of Caesar's army securing his reign. But what the shepherds are given the ability to see at the first Noel is a new power at play piercing the veil that separates heaven and earth. A legion of angels, angels pledges its allegiance to a different king. With him is the peace that the world needs. By him is rescue from powers even greater than Caesar. Through him will justice be established on the earth. Through him all the peoples of the earth will be blessed. Now there are a lot of powers in the world that look more significant than Jesus. Caesar's one of them. Shoot, even I wasn't born in a trough. I mean, I'm a flea compared to Caesar, but even I am convincing myself sometimes that I'm controlling the world's outcomes, or I should be, I should be, I ought to be able to. 
And then there are other times I'm going all the way to the opposite extreme where I'm so discouraged watching all of these, uh, the, the world just languish in the clutches of these forces, economic and military and government, and it's acting as if they're the forces that ultimately shape the destiny of the world. And I feel so small and so helpless. And then there are other powers that, that assault me at Christmas and you too. Forces that oppress us with the conviction that you got to have more. You need more stuff. You need better stuff. Or, or, or and this, this, this is the most wonderful time of the year. This is, the season is magical. And you better make magic happen. You better make people happy. And you better be happy. You better stress yourself out until it produces happiness. And if you ain't happy, you better be afraid. Fear the future. Fear being alone. Fear anything that makes you feel not good because this season is about feeling good. And for us, now those powers don't look like a king on a throne, but those might be the most threatening. Those might be the most clear and present danger from keeping us from receiving what God wants to give us at Christmas. It, it doesn't look, it's not a gift that comes in a form that we expect. It's not, it's not a new political party. It's not a genie in a bottle. It's a baby wrapped in strips of cloth and lying in a manger. And he is the one to whom every other power, every other conviction, every other fear, every other authority is subject. I need faith to believe that. I need the season of Advent and the story of the first Noel to kindle that faith in me. That's what the angels did say. And it means if you're Caesar, then you've been put on notice that your way of ruling will never bring about what you promise. If you are spiritual forces of evil, who, unbeknownst to Caesar, are the real source of his influence because he doesn't recognize the fact that he's a pawn in your game, well, then you have been put on notice that there is a new power at play and you don't stand a chance. And I know that sounds like spooky spiritual warfare stuff that maybe makes us Hello, test one, two, what you got for me, Christian? All right, is there a mic anywhere? I am? I don't think I'm on. I really don't think I'm on, Kate. Test one, two, all right. All right, I'm on on the internet, but I'm not on in the room. So anyone watching on the internet, you're laughing at us right now. It's, it's really interesting. I was just going to say everything that I was talking about sounds like spooky spiritual warfare stuff. So I don't know. You do with that. Uh, you do with that what you want. It might make you uncomfortable to talk that way, but this is, this is the way the world is. This is the world that the Jesus story reveals, and it is a world that is now different because of this kid in the trough. 
That's what it means. That's what it means. And what it means for me and you is that that power is on our side. Or at least it can be. I mean, you can chase after Caesar's power if you want it. But there's a new power at play. There is a new power alive in this community, in this family called the church that we get to be a part of. That power is, in fact, uniting us together, overcoming forces that would divide. Spiritual forces of evil have no ability to get a foothold among us or in us when we allow Jesus to come alive in us. What it means is that if you're, if you're a CEO or you're, you're a shepherd or you're, you're a stylist or a student, or female, male, black, white, brown, young, old, it doesn't matter. God's peace is available to you even in the midst of turmoil because Jesus is powerful enough to bring it. It, it means that, that your commitment to doing what's right and good and true in Jesus' name will bear fruit even through obstacles. It means that in Jesus' name, spouses can be restored to one another and children to their parents. It means that God is alive and present in the midst of grief and shame and depression, powerful as they may be. They cannot eliminate God's comfort and forgiveness and even joy and hope. There is a new power at play in the world and in your world because of the first Noel. And finally... It means that it's your move. It's your move. The first Noel created movement. It also created a movement of which we're a part. But first, there was movement as God uh, who sent the angels. You know, Caesar's not the only one that can command and something happens. No, God dispatched his messengers who terrifyingly and gently poked through the veil to announce what God is doing to, to Zechariah and to Mary and Joseph and now to the shepherds. And then in Luke chapter 2 and verse 15, when the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go. Let, let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that happened that, that God has told us about. The arrival of Jesus moved the shepherds from the fields where they lay. Is it, is it enough to move you? I don't, I don't mean, like, does it move you like some emotional experience and all that? I, mean, I hope your experiences with Christ are, are moving and, and feel good this Christmas. But regardless of that, I mean, they may not. But regardless of that, Christmas is here and Jesus is real and Jesus is Lord. What move will you make in light of that? Reminds me of a question that we often ask ourselves around here. And it goes like this. What is Jesus saying to you and what are you going to do about it? What is Jesus saying to you? And what are you going to do about it? Jesus followers and potential Jesus followers ask themselves both of those questions. I know for me, I've been, become pretty dependent on some disciplines during Advent to help me create space to hear those questions. I have to move things around in my schedule. I've got to move things out of my brain so I can move some new things in. That's why I, got, why I go after the Advent books. It's why I, I go after the podcast or why I turn on a Christmas playlist. I don't, even, I don't listen to music the rest of the year. I only For about a month and a half, I listen to Christmas music. I need a new soundtrack going in my head. And when it comes to Christmas, 
It happens to be a track that speaks of things too wonderful for me, as the psalm says. These are are things too lofty for me to attain. I feel like that as I am taken by the story of the first Noel. What God has done and is doing in Christ is not something that I can hold. It's something to behold. And and I, I need at least four weeks to do that. So I'm so grateful for the season of Advent and why I think we need it. Because it is our move. Something happened. It's real. The God whose promises are written down in dusty old scrolls of history, that God is still alive. And there is no power in heaven or on earth that can stop the good things that God wants to do to bless the world and fulfill his promise. The angels did say that at the first Noel, and now we have a chance to respond to give our allegiance to King Jesus, to love more purely, to lead more humbly, to give more generously, to hope boldly in the midst of trial, to pray stridently in Jesus' name, to remain faithful, to forsake sentimentality and find the real Jesus. May you believe what the angels did say. Maybe for the first time. Or maybe believe it again. Which is what I think this boring old song helped me do. Let's pray. God, thank you for the ways that you are at work among us. For how you come alive in a story that we we say it's a story not to ascribe to it some mythical status like it's just a fantasy, but it is an account of your movement in the world. Help us to claim the truths that we find in your Christmas story, that it would be something that is more than just images in a book or in a front yard and a nativity scene, but come alive in us and be real to us, just as you were to those shepherds at the first Noel. Speak to us. Use an angel if you have to. Make us ready to hear, ready to respond. Thank you, Jesus, for coming to us. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen.